Hello there, and welcome to the Thinking Fellows podcast. My name is Caleb, and today I'm joined by my father, Dr. Scott Keith, and a guest on the show, uh, my friend, Jacob Mueller. How you doing, Jacob? Good. Thanks for having me. We, um, we have guests on the show often, but usually most of them have a doctor in front of their name. I do not. And you do, you do not have that. Uh, we talk about your dad on the show uh, often enough, and he does have a doctor in front of his name, so maybe one day. No? Probably not. Probably not. I have a funny story about his dad. Well, at least one. But um, you're on the show today because you're obviously back in California. You just, uh, for people who don't know, I think we've, I've mentioned you on the show before just because we're so <clears throat> close friends, but you've gone to seminary on St. Louis and you just finished your first year there and you're back home visiting family and things like that. And you've come down and you were hanging out with us and you sat in on some recordings today. And Dr. Keith here had an idea to uh, do a show where he kind of takes the reins of what I usually do, which is asking the questions and pose some questions to us about being students of theology. Both you and I did undergrad at Concordia University Irvine with uh, pretty much the same major. They had different names, but I mean, we were in the same classes for basically everything for the last couple of years there, uh, theology at Concordia Irvine. And now we're both in different MA programs with different goals. Well, that are both an MDiv program. MDiv program, that's right. Yeah. Ma- I should say master's program, right? Uh, with different goals, right, at the end of it. <laughs> so, um, so I'm going to eventually just toss the reins over here to my father, and he can ask whatever kind of questions he had in mind for this episode. This is kind of a special episode for June. You know, we try to do things that are somewhat off topic, but still related to what we do. And so much about the Think of Fellows is about uh, learning and, and being even a self-taught student of theology in many ways. And I think uh, this episode, we can get you the perspective of people who are actually like in courses in theology and what that kind of looks like right now. Just a reminder, the Thinking Fellows is part of the 1517 Podcast Network. You can find all of those shows at 1517legacy.com forward slash podcast. We're at 10 shows right now. We're going to be at 11 or 12 by the end of the summer. It's really fantastic to see this thing grow every month. It means that listeners are uh, going from the Thinking Fellows and also adding new shows from the network to the thing. Uh, They're talking to people in their congregations, friends at work, and things like that, and sharing these various shows with them. It's fantastic support, and it makes what we do here at 1517 worthwhile to see that we're having an impact on people and helping uh, deliver the gospel in one way or another through these various topics to those uh, people all over the country and in some circumstances all over the world. So, Dad, uh, what did you have in mind for the? Because this was this was all your idea today. So. Yeah, we were walking back from lunch today, and I uh, I said, "Hey, Jacob's gonna be here. We should do an episode on um, being a, a student of theology." And I think the reason I wanted to do it is because a lot of the people who follow fifteen seventeen closely or listen to the Thinking Fellows are probably um, you know students of theology in one shape or another, even if not formally so. And uh, I knew Jacob was going to be here. And the two of you are, you know, formally students of theology at the moment. You're in programs which are designed to either um, teach you theology so that you can be a pastor or teach you theology so that you can weave baskets, in your case, Caleb, yeah. or, you know, do whatever. And um, I, I thought, you know, it'd be interesting to talk to you guys about what you think is important to learn um, when you're a student of theology, why maybe you went this route. Now, the answer in your the, the case for two, both of you might seem a little obvious um, to the listeners who know who you are, but I don't think so. I don't. I think I know you well enough 
both of you to know that I don't think either one of you went into theology because your fathers were in the field. Um, in fact, I think knowing you guys from back when you were freshmen, you both sort of tried to avoid it in a way. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. To go another route and sort of came into it. So I wanted to talk about that. Why study theology maybe? Um, and then just go from there. Um, I have some ulterior motives at the end for some things I want to sort of, I guess, promote. Um, um, if people do want to study theology, maybe uh, what they should look into, what they should study, what things are important, what things are not as important. But other than that, I just thought I'd ask you guys some questions. All right? Go so, for it. Caleb, you're in an MA program at the University of Nottingham. Um, I don't think they... Like my program in the UK, I don't think they really provide you a specialization other than that which you choose sort of to focus on. And you're focusing, your research is focusing on right now Heidelberg disputations um, of Luther. I think eventually you had some thoughts to do some translating and to use that as the basis for maybe your uh, your thesis work, right? Uh, yeah, that's some of it. Yeah. Yep. And, and Jacob, you're just finished your first year at Concordia Theological Seminary in St. Louis, which is one of the two LCMS seminaries. It's the one that's sort of in our hometown, right, in St. Louis. Yes. Um, your ultimate goal is to become a pastor in the LCMS. Yes. Right? Okay. Um, Caleb's ultimate goal remains a mystery, but that's fine. Hmm. Mine is still a mystery myself, so I understand that. Um, so why, I guess, let's start with either one of you can jump in. Why become a student of theology? I, I mentioned that while you were in your first years at Concordia, you both tried to avoid it, maybe say what you were doing as opposed to being a, a formal student of theology and why you made the switch. You want to start, Jacob? I talk on the show all the time, so Absolutely. I'll give you a stage. So I came into Concordia University, Irvine, as a freshman, not sure what I wanted to do um, professionally after college. So I went in and just decided to choose a major. I didn't want to go in undecided. So I decided to go in as a teacher um, and then see where that took me. And I quickly learned that while I respect teachers that I was not that kind of person um, and decided that I want to go into some other kind of church work, that I wanted to deal more with people specifically in ministry. Um, so I switched to DCE and then quickly learned, even quicker than with teaching, <laughs> that uh, I was not that hyper and decided I still wanted to go into ministry, that I wanted to work relationally with other people, that I wanted to point people to Christ and really minister to people like some of the pastors in my life had, like I realized at that point, like my dad had with our family and with other parishioners as well. Um, and at that point, I decided that I should go through Concordia Irvine in the pre-SEM program and learn as much as I can. And then by the end of it, either be sure that I did want to go through and go to seminary or go away and pick some other path. And by the end of it, ultimately, I couldn't find a reason not to go to seminary. So just to um, clarify some of the um, LCMS-specific language in your your story there. A DCE is a director of Christian education in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. That's essentially, I don't, I don't want to get myself into trouble with our own people, but if you're an evangelical, you're, you could probably think youth pastor and you'd be somewhere in the neighborhood of what a, what a DCE does. Um, DCEs in our case, they're, they don't stand alone. Um, they would always serve under a pastor, an actual ordained minister of the word and sacrament. Um, 
and then you said that you switched to the pre-sem program, which in our circles just means pre-seminary. Again, if you're sort of in the evangelical wor world, you know... Bible college? Yeah, in many cases, this might be the degree that you get to become a pastor, right? Mm -hmm. the, so it's a, a four-year undergraduate degree, liberal arts degree, um, and your major will be something like theology or biblical studies or something like that. And at CUI, uh, you actually have the freedom to do any major you want and right. be pre-sem. Mm -hmm. And you will take specific courses which prepare you to go to seminary. You might take a pastoral, like when I was in pre-sem, we took pastoral theology, which your dad taught, by the way. Um, pastoral theology and um, I don't remember what else, but other things, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, Caleb. Uh, yeah, so I came to Concordia uh, knowing that I was going to do something at least tangentially related to theology, I think. But at that point, uh, I had just come off of coming from uh, Lutheran camp the, the summer before. I spent the whole summer there. And you had been a camp director uh, when I was very young growing up. Uh, you were the director at Airhead Lutheran camp for a while in California. And, and you had run other camps uh, as well, secular camps as well, and worked for them. And so that was kind of in our blood. And I had enjoyed my time there and thought, hey, I can do theology at a practical level at a camp. And so what degree or like what major at Concordia would best allow me to do both theology and that? So I ended up in the DC program at first because I thought uh, there are a lot of camp directors or program directors at LCMS camps are DCEs. We have a history of that. Yeah. yeah. And so that kind of, uh, I thought I would do that. Um, I ultimately, um, the DCE path just didn't seem like it was going to be the best fit for me. There were not as many theological, there was more of the teaching courses actually mm -hmm. than there were theology courses at first. And there was some practicum stuff that just filled the credits that I thought would be better spent doing study. So... Um, I also, the, the haze of how great camp was kind of faded after a little while. And uh, so I decided, hey, I'm actually just going to dive full force into uh, theological studies and theology. And then eventually, halfway through too, I tacked on um, diving into languages deeper too. Because as, as part of pre-sem, you have to do some Greek and Hebrew but sort of uh, with your encouraging, kind of realized the importance of if I was going to do academic theology, also doing Latin. Uh, in the future, I really should be pursuing some German and things like that as well. But, uh, and so I added that as a minor as well, classical language as a minor. And then um, I was pre-sem, and like Jacob, I was on the fence as to, I, I was just going to do pre-sem all the way through. And by the end, it was going to be a decision of, am I, do I think I want to be a parish pastor or or not, and I had the the opposite as Jacob, where he said, you know, I really I felt like that's what I should go do. I um, I felt like there were just particular uh, things or, that I just didn't didn't match up for me with being a parish pastor. So well, let's get to that. Um, it's kind of funny you talk about taking German. I took my first German course from of all people, uh, Jacob's father. What? Dr. Steve Mueller, yeah. He German? taught he taught me theological German in two I semesters no of independent study. Yeah. JD Manton was the text and we um, met at your house um, in Lake Forest, right? Lake mm -hmm. Forest over there. over beers while you were running around on the floor at like two years old. Probably naked. I don't recall that, but okay. um possibly. <laughs> um but yeah. 
So, um, Jacob, you said that at the end of your undergrad studies in theology, um, that you were pre-sem. Caleb, you were pre-sem too, right? Yep. Yeah, that you um, couldn't find a reason not to go to seminary. Mm -hmm. Did you look for reasons not to go to seminary? Absolutely. So, obviously, my dad's a pastor. And so, growing up, I, I saw how he was involved with church and how he was involved at the university as a pastor there in that capacity. Um, so I saw very personally what a pastor does. And I think when I was in high school and starting to think, what do I want to do with my life? I wanted to push away from that because that's, I think, natural. You want to kind of push away from your parents a little bit. And I, I, if I was going to go to seminary, I needed a good reason. Um, and it wasn't until I got to college that I started to you know, explore some of the options of what I would do, that I would see some of the programs I could go through, that I saw no reason to avoid the path that he took going to seminary just because of my own insecurities or whatever, that I could go through and go through the program that I you know, would learn everything I need to learn going through seminary and that I could be a good pastor. Um, yeah, also, hey, so Jacob and I were roommates um, for our first year, and then obviously we're close after that. Uh, I will say you were very concerned at first with people, especially when you switched from DC, teaching DC to theology, people were like, oh, you're just like your dad. Mm -hmm. yeah, and absolutely. you were very concerned with that. You're like, well, actually, my dad like, really wanted to do this, and I kind of pushed away for a while, and I'm coming to this on my own conclusions. And that was, I don't know, I think that was important. Uh, I think older Jacob can maybe look back and say, my dad's not such a bad guy. It's not a bad thing not to be at like all. my dad. <laughs> yeah. Now people make that joke and I see it in kind of a different yeah. light. You know? <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, all right, Caleb. So um, you sort of, you guys graduate the same year, um, same program-ish. Uh, Jacob took quite a few languages too, right? And you guys did very well. We, did, Greek and Hebrew we did all Greek and Hebrew together yeah. and the same amount of readings courses together too. Yeah. Um, and you, you decide uh, not to go to seminary. Um, why is that? Uh, at the end of the day, it was because <clears throat> mostly I had respect for the process of the call and what it meant to be a pastor called to a congregation. And I saw my own desires to um, go immediately into some academic continuation of that theology and also the limitations of being tied down to a call and things like that in some of the... Um, the moving around I've done in my life and knowing myself as always hopping from one thing to the, to another, you know, that. I mean, we've always, we've done a lot of moving and a lot of things come like by that. that honestly. And I didn't feel like it was going to be right for me to, um, have congregation support me, the synod pay for, you know, a portion of my congregation for me not to want to serve in that capacity as the end goal. If my end goal was not to be a parish pastor, uh, but to go do something else eventually, I thought it would be, I don't know, just not genuine to just go through that program because that's what was the next step. And, uh, you know, I know there's lots of people who go to seminary and then end up doing continuing education and become a professor and things like that. But I haven't met a single person who was like, well, that was the initial plan. I never, I, I was trying to avoid parish ministry. Uh, I've never met somebody who's like, I wanted to avoid parish ministry right. and still went to seminary. Yeah. Um, that, I didn't want to be that guy. Right. I have a respect for for the process and for the office. That's mm -hmm. great. So um, I'll start with Jacob again. We'll go to Caleb. Um, if you could, just in you're both essentially a year into your master's programs. Um, Jacob's is longer. Um, the seminary process in the LCMS is um, broken essentially into three 
coursework years and what we call a vicarage, which is essentially a nine-month internship um, at a congregate, uh, local congregation serving under uh, a pastor. Um, the first two years has always sort of billed as you're sort of prepped to get into the parish and you get into the parish in your vicarage. And then the last year is, you know, some further coursework and sort of re- reviewing what you learned while you were in the parish for a year. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Caleb's is m- much different than that, shorter, um, more focused on reading and writing and researching. Um, but Jacob, if you could describe this f- sort of first year of theological education um, at St. Louis Seminary, um, how would you describe it? Absolutely. So, you know, coming from Concordia, Irvine, it was a little strange at first because at Concordia, Irvine, we were very much focused on the academic side, you know, getting through your undergraduate work. Um, At Concordia Seminary, there's a little bit of a different focus. So we're all going through with the goal of becoming pastors. So everything has a practical light to it. So at first I was kind of surprised and thinking, well, this isn't as hard academically as it was at Concordia Irvine. It doesn't take as much reading per se or something else. Well, let me say um, that and just knowing what you both did while you were at Concordia, neither one of you took the easy path at at Concordia in your theology degrees. You guys took as many languages as you could. You took the readings courses in languages. Um, you took the hard classes when available. Even I, I know at times and the, the point of having to chase down, say, an independent study class that would cover something. And so I'm not too surprised to hear that. I think there are probably many people who come straight from an undergrad at Concordia who get to the seminary who find it um, much more academically rigorous. Um, but... Irvine in itself is, uh, you know, tends to hire academics, um, pastors who are academics, like in the in the full sense of the word. And so it's, especially in the Christ College and the theology program, uh, which your dad is the dean of, it's, um, you know, it's very academically minded there. And so it, it makes it a joy to teach in that, in that department when I'm able to. And I would say that I'm not too surprised at that. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and so we were taking courses such as Introduction to Practical Theology, and every time we had courses, even if it's something like Introduction to Systematics, everything had a practical light. So I had Dr. Bierman, and we would be talking about, you know, whatever topic for the day. Um, But always the focus would be, now how do you use this in the parish? Mm. Now if some, you know old nice lady in your congregation comes up to you with questions, can you apply this? This isn't just something theoretical that we're theorizing. It's something that we actually want to put into practice, that you want to be able to take into your parish and use to help people. Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, I think that's important. That's that's what's needed from pastors, right? So they're not just answering these questions for the sake of the academy. They're answering for the sake of the souls in their congregation. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely. All right, Caleb, um, how would you describe your for- first year in your program? Uh, it's so much different in, <clears throat> than at uh, Concordia Irvine, uh, and I think in a good way. So, uh, like you mentioned, the, the way Concordia Irvine's theology faculty operates is that they've hired a lot of people who have academic degrees from universities all over the world, really. It's not just, there are some people with, you know, the doctorates from our seminaries, but you have people from doctorates from Cambridge and Oxford and Durham and uh, University of Florida, University of Chicago, like all over the place, right? And so you have professors who know what it means to research. And uh, I was forced to do like a lot of entry-level reading and research, 
what that meant at Nottingham because in this program they at first they assume you know nothing theologically that you could be pursuing this after having done like a business degree in your first degree uh, University of Nottingham is a you, is a research uh, funded university so they take students from all over disciplines who might want to start focusing on a new discipline and things like that I got to bypass a couple of the intro courses in theology because of where I came from uh, and the in the level of knowledge I had already acquired and then you after those classes there's no hand holding it at all I don't have lectures that I have to attend I can travel over there twice a year to go sit in on optional lectures and things like that that may or may not relate to the classes. But the classes are um, packets of reading and then questions to your professor. So they will give you um, an introduction to whatever the subject matter is, a packet of 40 books possibly to read with three or four in there that you must read, and then you can email or call or use video calling like FaceTime or Skype or whatever to then discuss that material further. And then as you get further in the course, the idea is that you take each unit and particular readings within that unit and then apply it to a paper, a research paper in each course. And that research paper, they have suggested topics, but if you have something else in mind, you can basically pick any related topic under the sun as long as your professor approves it. And then they also want to know that you're capable of researching it. So along the way, you'll send them your bibliography and things like that. And they'll say, uh, you've either been really lazy or yes, that's an adequate amount of research. And then you write a, um, it's not a huge paper, a medium length paper. And then it's, it's graded uh, based on your research merit solely, basically, and your writing ability, um, which is interesting, right? They they have like no interest doctrinally in what your conclusions are at all as long as there was some good level of academic research to back it up. So you can't be like completely left wing unless there's other people out there who have some some way to back that up uh, research-wise, uh, which is interesting having come from a Lutheran university where I wouldn't say I would have been punished for having non-Lutheran conclusions in any way, but the, the assumption was being a Lutheran in a Lutheran program at a Lutheran university, uh, the doctrine and everything was going to be that. I can, I can do whatever at Nottingham, Lutheran or no, as long as the research was good, which is excellent for me because I've been able to do things like you mentioned, like study more in-depth Luther's Heidelberg Disputation and sort of the response to that in the 20th and early 21st century and come to Lutheran conclusions about that so long as I have research to back that up, whether my reading professor is Lutheran, Anglican, Catholic, Eastern Orthodox or not. So that's kind of interesting. Would you say that you have professors there who understand Lutheran theology adequately enough to evaluate your conclusions? Yeah, I would say uh, Dr. Simeon Zoll um, has done his homework on Lutheran theology, right? And he, you, you can have those discussions with him. I met with him in person in April, and he... Um, he definitely knows. He's read more Luther than me. He's written on. Yeah, he's been Dr. published. Uh, Simeon Zoll, um, I think he's a DPhil Oxford University dissertation on Melanchthon's pneumatology or something like that. Yeah, I mean, so, so yes, that's been good. And then uh, even my first professor, while well, he he admitted he was not familiar with Lutheran presentation of my first class was on Christology. So he wasn't familiar with the Lutheran presentation of Christology outside of some small parts of Luther. 
yet he was able to say, did you cite primary source texts or not? Were these secondary source texts good? Did you use journal articles? And I think that's, you know, they just, they hire people whose background is in research. And so basically they can say, are you BSing the research or not? And um, now he could say, this is great, and I think you did the research well, but he probably isn't able to say that's actually Lutheran or not authoritatively. Gotcha. Right. So at you know my school, Concordia Seminary, everyone's from similar backgrounds. How about at your school? Is that are others similar to you in any other, any way, or are you there's, different? There's not a so when I went, there was not a single MA student at all that like I could say had a similar background to me. There were the oldest student there was like 75. I was the youngest student at 23. There were people with PhDs already who, in different subjects, wow. who were doing, who were now doing like a second load of coursework in theology now, just because they wanted to. There were people who were doing this uh, program to then become pastors in their church, and then there were some like uh, there were a couple other Americans there who teach at high schools and middle schools whose programs encourage them to get a master's degree, and then. Uh, there were like nobody else had like a background in doing like undergraduate theology first and then this one. Which Not even Adam. Adam Morton's a PhD student, uh, mm. friend of, friend of the show, and fifteen seventeen. So he was he's Lutheran, and we had a lot in common. But he's in the PhD program. He's got his MDiv from Luther Seminary. Oh, gotcha. All right. Well, I think since usually say, say it, I'll say it. I think it's time for our break. Sounds good. Hello there, and welcome to our break. Uh, Dr. Keith doesn't want to do the breaks, so I'm going to take my usual role back here and, and do our little ad segment to, for the day, which is going to be about the 1517 video cast. You can find that on iTunes in their 1517 video casts, or you can type in 1517 podcasts and you can see the logo there. It's basically the 1517 logo imposed with like a, a video casts in a, in a matching font there. It's one of the generic uh, things we do at 1517 because it's not the Thinking Fellows, it's not Virgin the Wasteland. It's just content produced at 1517, video content produced from all over our projects and then now distributed in a convenient way for people to get. So you can subscribe to this via our YouTube channel. That's 1517 Legacy YouTube channel. You can subscribe via iTunes or the Apple Podcasting app. You can subscribe to any of the podcasting apps on Android that support videocasts. I'm not, I don't have an Android device, so I'm not 100% sure what those are. Um, but I know they exist. And then you can also just watch it on your computer on Facebook. Uh, it auto-posts to our page when I post those. So... Uh, Dr. Keith was watching one of those videos today. He's like, why does it have the Christ Hold Fast logo on it? Well, Christ Hold Fast is one of our projects. <laughs> he doesn't even remember when he recorded that. That's right. And it was, it was him. He's like, what is that? I'm like, so we have multiple projects at 1517. You've heard us talking about Publishing House, Jagger Word Blog, Christ Hold Fast, uh, now the Podcast Network and the various podcasts under that, the Speaking, um, the Speakers Bureau, all sorts of different things. In er, under every one of those projects almost, some sort of video content has been recorded at some point. We've had conferences have video content recorded. Christ Hold Fast has done some stuff. Um, but we have not a, always had a, like a great way to distribute that. Well, now with the Podcast Network and, and Apple and the podcast industry really pushing for more video podcasts, we I thought it would be a good idea to distribute 
all the video content that we have produced over the last four years uh, via this new method. And so you can go get that. You can subscribe to that. Uh, if you want to look at that more in depth, that's 1517legacy.com forward slash podcast. You'll see the video cast logo there. You can click on that to see the latest episodes. Again, if you look on our Facebook page and look at the videos posted to the Facebook page, most of those will be from there now because they're auto-posting every week. And if you go on uh, any podcast app and t- type in 1517 video casts, that should probably show up. Um, I know on some apps it'll show like an audio-only version if you want to listen to them. They're all under 10 minutes long. There's kind of size restrictions for this. So they're going to be easily digestible. And I think even the first couple episodes we've done on that have just been really good. We try to go at really basic questions that people from all over the spectrum might ask about Christianity on a practical level. Cool. So yeah, once again, 1517legacy.com forward slash podcasts. And you can look at the video casts tab. Good. We ready? Yep. All right, so I don't want to get, um, I think probably specifically Jacob, I'm not sure, University of Nottingham would care what you said. Um, no. But, so I'm going to, I'll try to be careful the way I phrase this. Is And I'll say it this way. Is there anything uh, you were expecting to learn in this first year that you didn't learn? And if you preferred to say it more negatively and risk your well-being, um, is there anything you think you should have learned this year that you were not taught? So I'll start, I guess. So the first year, I, coming in, expected more of an academic focus. Um, But as I went through the year, I think I realized why they didn't have that focus. They were focused more on the practical side of it. And so I was kind of okay with that. It's a little bit of a different focus, a different priority. Um, But then what I also realized is that I'm just taking introductory courses right now. They're trying to give us a foundation um, second and fourth years, the, the other two academic years, have totally different content, different focuses. Um, so I don't know if it's really fair to say what we have or haven't learned yet and what we should have learned, because I think a lot of that's going to come a little bit later on. Okay, that's good. Patient, I like it. Caleb? Uh, um, I, I didn't know what I expected necessarily. This program is only hard when I make it hard on myself by not giving myself enough time to read or write, which uh, both you and Jacob can attest, like I've, there, especially this last paper, I didn't give myself enough time to write. It turned out okay, uh, but I was worried because I had a lot of stuff going on and I failed myself time management-wise in order to give myself the comfortable buffer uh, to get something done and read it enough that I'm comfortable with it. I think I still was able to do that just by then pushing off some other things on my plate, which isn't necessarily a good way to go about it. Um, The one thing I missed that I perhaps expected just a little bit more of was any sort, there isn't direct teaching unless you seek it out. It's all through... The, the readings, um, which I think if you were at a even a residential program in England, because I know England's a little more, is seminar style, right? Where most of the seminars are optional, not required. If you were at a residential program, I would be going to more lectures. Sure. Obviously than I am yeah. now, which is basically just a week, week's worth or two weeks worth of lectures uh, there. And so th- I think I expected there to be like maybe some videos or something, inclu- some video lectures or something included. And they just they just don't have that except unless you go to like last year's um, recordings of those lectures, which may or may like I said may or may not have 
anything to do with the classes you're in. So that that's basically it. I got to s- skip most of the intro stuff, which was really, really nice. And I want to say that, again, Concordia Irvine's program almost over-prepared you for what I think modern MA programs expect of students, even ones at research universities like Nottingham. Now, the benefit is, is that at Nottingham, you can, you can do like, you can make things really hard on yourself and say, I'm using this program to prepare for research at a PhD. Now, you've got to tell your advisor that that's what you're doing so that he tells you you're, not research, you're researching enough to pass, but you're not doing enough to prepare yourself for doctorate level work or whatever that is. And I do feel like the professors there have been honest with me. So my first paper, uh, I got what would be uh, I, like um, high marks or something. I forget what the term is. It's not the highest. High honors. Yeah, high honors. But I got the very low end of high honors, which yeah. is it's a, a spectrum. So it's still good, but it's not perfection. And if you're in high honors, it means that your work could be pu- – uh, publishable with tweaks, right? With some revision. With some revision. And basically, uh, I got enough feedback that said, your research and your presentation of Lutheran theology is really good. You can tell that you've been doing this, you have experience in this, and you know how to research in this field. You need to interact with people who disagree with Lutheranism more if you want to publish this in a journal. Yeah, which is interesting. I'm, I would wonder if you'd get that feedback at the seminary that you ne- need to interact with people who disagree with Lutheranism more. <laughs> I mean, it just shows to me, it's sort of il- uh, illustrative of the difference in the tracks that you guys are taking, right? With, at the seminary, they want you to know what Lutheran theology is and they want you to know, um, you know where those, those answers are founded in the scriptures and that type of thing. So your, your learning is focused on that. In an academic setting, they want you to know, they don't want you to give them what you think the answer is necessarily from your, your faith perspective mm-hmm. um, or your limited perspective. What they want you to do is sort of discuss the research, yeah. right? And, and where the research is leading and what arguments there are against the research that you've discovered. And basically what, like, what I got was you will continue to pass classes in this, you know, just hitting this high honors mark, doing what you're doing because you're still presenting research. But if you want to pursue academics in a publishable way, like right. a peer-reviewed way, right. you have a, there is something you need to still add. Right. And so that, that was good feedback and, uh, you know, something I hope to do, especially in my next class. My next class, my focus isn't Lutheranism as much or the Lutheran presentation of a doctrine as much. So, so um, to both of you, uh, whether in grad school or in undergrad, uh, which, say, I don't know, three classes have you taken in your study of theology which you found the most valuable? I'd probably start with corporate worship in undergrad. Mm. was a fantastic course where we learned uh, why. So in Lutheranism, we have... Um, these divine service rites that we follow and um, these very specific phrasing and it's all coming from somewhere, but it's not always clear where it's coming from. And so in that course, we really closely examined where our services came from, how it derives from scripture, what it communicates. And I think that was a very beneficial course because that's something I'm going to be involved with every week and help leading church services. services. Um, so I think it's important to know why we have the services like we do. That was in undergrad, right? It was. was at CUI? Yes. 
with my father. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your dad taught that class. I didn't. I actually didn't uh, have that class because that was one of the ones for. This is weird, but they have theological studies and theology, and theological studies had that as a one or one of two options, right. and it was an elective if you took theology. I don't know how they break that up, but <laughs> <laughs> they should probably be uh, one major. I don't know why. Maybe I forget Jacob, the differences. Maybe but. Jacob can ask his dad. All right, Jacob, two more classes. <laughs> uh, the next one, I'm just going to combine them. I think you were going to say it anyway, but Doctrine 1 and 2, I liked. And then I'll combine that with um, Creeds and Confessions at Seminary um, because that gets us into what be- what we believe, why we believe it, and then where do we find that conf- in the confessions? Confessionally, uh, what what do we subscribe to as Lutherans? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's crucial, especially for me, because I'm going to subscribe to those confessions before I'm ordained. Um, but I think it's especially, for, we're talking about uh, being a, a theology student today. So I think you should be able to look at your confessions and, and know what you, what you believe and uh, what your confessions say. Yeah. And I think that's good, like, to do at the under for you, especially to do at the undergrad level before you got to seminary. That way, you're not like this is what we believe. I'm going to be a pastor in this church. <laughs> Absolutely. By the time you're already like uh-huh. you know committed to training for that role. Uh-huh. And then one final course, um, introduction to systematics at seminary. Um, I say this for a little bit of a different reason. It made me feel like an idiot. Mm. So I had a couple systematics courses at Concordia Irvine. I thought I knew it pretty well, and I did, but. Dr. Bierman in that course made it very clear and, and made the effort to show us that we don't know everything going into this program and that we have a lot more to learn and that there's an important reason for that because we're going to be using this. I think that's an important lesson to learn pretty early into that. What's the uh, textbook for that class? Uh, we didn't exactly have a textbook. We had a bunch of different books we had to purchase and then uh, read the Bible sometimes and uh, some other books. Cool. Yeah, depends. A lot of Ferdy. Really? Oh, good. That's funny. Good. Um, like, um, which ones? Uh, theology on being a theologian. Pro- okay. Or on being a theologian. Yeah. Proclamation. Yeah. Cool. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, we we just did an episode on that, and mm-hmm. I ha- you read my paper, but I I just actually I have a section in a paper that argues that um, Ferdy is systematizing Luther's how to work disputation mm-hmm. through that book. So. All right, Caleb. Um, okay, so uh, the. I would say the first one was Greek one with Professor uh, Dr. Mindorf. Uh, Greek yeah. one worked me over because I put it off. Jacob and I did it at the same time, and we mm-hmm. could have both started earlier, but junior year, right? Yeah, junior. Whew, that was like um, I put it off because I was terrified of languages. And Mindorf <laughs> both worked me over and made it so I wasn't afraid to do it anymore, which like uh, was a fantastic <laughs> ability to teach that class like he's he's really gifted at teaching that languages because I, I just wasn't terrified of it anymore um, and so that really benefited me because as then I did Greek 2 Greek readings Hebrew 1 Hebrew 2 and Latin I I was not I was not scared of it anymore I didn't feel stupid anymore I finally uh, felt like I understood the the base of learning a language and then could apply that to the other areas and that then also helped me approach other classes in because it, re- it corrects you on teaching you how to relearn again. Because when you're learning a language, especially like a level one language, you're starting like you're a kindergartner. Like you don't, you don't know anything about this. And one of the assumptions is you use English every day, but you're probably 
you probably have forgotten how English formally works, and you're going to need to note how it works if you're going to translate stuff from Greek into English. And so I actually learned everything I missed from middle school and high school level English courses. I can vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet, there was, I bet there was a change in my writing after those years. There always is once you take a language. Yeah. So that was, that was the first one. That, that's what I would put on there. Uh, then the next two, and my answers are going to differ from Jacob's because Doctor One and Two were really important. But growing up with you and actually having like studied the, some theology in high school, I had already read a decent portion of the Lutheran Confessions, and I had already read the textbook for that class called To Believe before I had gotten to Concordia. <laughs> and then I read it in core, reread it in core, and then I reread the expanded version in Doctrine 1. And so actually it was the exegetical classes and the biblical theology classes that benefited me the most because I had already done a lot of systematic, uh, you know... Um, groundwork. Groundwork, yeah. System- systematic groundwork before getting to Concordia. So uh, my course on the book of Daniel yep. with... Uh, doc, uh, well, not is he doctor now? But Professor Elliot at I the time. I think he defended it. I think he defended his no dissertation. Idea. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, he was senior year. He was the new Hebrew professor. So good. At Concordia Irvine. He was an amazing Hebrew professor. And then Jacob and I took him for some Old Testament courses. And he was an amazing Old Testament professor. Completely was able to articulate how the gospel appeared throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. Course in and course out which was so great to have. And we did the book of Daniel with him. And that was absolutely fantastic because I got to see Old Testament prophecy fulfilled. I got, we got to apply, those of us who knew some Hebrew, got to apply some of our Hebrew in that class, which was seeing how we could take the multiple disciplines that we were learning, which was systematic theology. So seeing terms and functions like the gospel and justification in the Old Testament, seeing Old Testament exegesis in prophecy and applying our biblical languages to that class. So that was definite, that is definitely up there. And an apocalyptic book as well. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Something that most people will, yeah. will kind of steer away from. There's a lot of different views. Yeah, so that was, that was absolutely fantastic. The last one, and uh, I'm just going to do this because it was, it was the most recent class and it's my MA program, was this research methods class that I just got to do. And that's because it was absolutely free to me to determine what I did at all. There was almost, the, the curriculum for this course was, here's some stuff about, you, if you don't know how to research, this is how you use a library. Uh, I already had some of that, so that was good. And then uh, this is how you pick a topic, and this is how you be wide enough, but not too wide, and narrow, but not too narrow, and now pick a subject and go. I still haven't received my grade for that class yet, so I have no idea. <laughs> so it's my least change, favorite yeah. class. <laughs> yeah, so I don't. So maybe I failed at that task. I have no idea yet, but it was it was nice because I had to take absolute freedom and pick something and roll with it. And have I got I got to meet with Doctor Zoll while I was in England, and he got to say. Uh, yeah, I think that level of research is good. I got to tell him why I wanted to do that subject, and he, he helped guide the end of my research so that I could narrow in on a, a paper. And uh, I'm sure that his 
his feedback, because, I mean, we talked extensively there, is going to be pretty comprehensive um, about even if I get a fine grade, I'm sure there will be lots of improvements in the future because he knows that I want, that I am looking to possibly do doctoral work. And so he knows he's going to say, you got to get up to speed before you apply to things. And I think I'm, I'm just looking forward to that. Good. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to just recap a little bit and then sort of add a couple things. I get asked all the time. Um, right now, the only teaching that I do is in the MA program at Concordia, and that's usually one class a semester. Um, I enjoy the heck out of that. Um, I, you know, I, I love teaching the undergraduate courses, but I kind of find my rhythm in the MA courses with the students who are now taking their study of theology seriously. Um, and looking to apply it, you know, into their their future endeavors in a serious way. Um, but I get asked all the time, you know, what, what what's important to read or to study if you want to be a student of theology? And first of all, I wouldn't be the one that would necessarily think I have all the answers to that. There's a great article that was written by um, Dr. Montgomery um, in 1966, believe it or not. Whoa. That's a long time ago now, huh? called The Theologian's Craft, and he call, calls it a discussion of theory formation and theory testing in theology. Um, I think it was first published in Concordia Theological Monthly, um, which is one of the seminary journals, um, in 1966. And he sort of lays out a curriculum uh, for studying theology. And when I'm asked that question, and you guys can disagree with me if you'd like to, um, I say all the time that I think first and foremost, and I steal this from Philip Melanchthon, that a student of theology has to have a solid foundation in the languages. Um, Melanchthon once said in one of the introductions to the Lochi Communis that a theologian first and foremost must be a grammarian. Um, and by that he meant, you know, must have a handle on the original languages so that when that person goes to study the scriptures, that they can actually do so in the language in which the scriptures were originally written um, in order to sort of glean the truth there. And I think a solid foundational language is important. I think a solid uh, sense of history is important because theology, as it's uh, happened, has happened throughout history, right? As people have done theology, it's happened throughout history. You have uh, the early church fathers, you have um, church fathers generally, you have Reformation writers, you have people in you know um, post-Reformation area, you have 20th century theologians. If you don't have a sense of what's going on in this time span in history, it's hard to know uh, to what instances are these people writing and, and what's influencing them. And then I also always add in there, I think it's important for students of theology to have some handle of philosophy. And I don't mean by that philosophies. Um, I, I'm not saying that they become a particular uh, adherent to a particular philosophy, but that they have some training in logic, that they have some uh, training in argumentation and grammar and in rhetoric and these types of things. And then from there on, I think it's important to delineate whether or not in your study of theology and what, what its end is, what its telos is, what its goal is. You know, are you... Set, are you going to be a pastor? Are you going to be a teacher? Is this sort of an avocation rather than a vocation? And all these sort of can determine where to go from there. Um, I think a student of theology needs to develop a, a good library, right? Because this is this is a, an art. This is a, one of the, the liberal arts, really. This is where you are 
taking in information, you're disseminating that information, you're reviewing it, you're, uh, and then you're making conclusions based on it. But to get that information, you need to have a good library. And I think um, to add something from Dr. Montgomery, I think theologians need to read broadly. Um, where most pastors, I think, get stuck is that they don't read broadly enough, um, that their reading is all in theology and it's all in their own tradition. Um, so they're Lutheran pastors. All their reading of theology is, is Lutheran theology without, you know, reading Calvin's Institutes, without reading any of the church fathers. They usually do some of that, any church fathers, without reading any 20th century theologians, you know, that they with whom they might disagree. Um, without reading modern theologians with whom they might disagree or modern uh, skeptics like Bart Ehrman or something like that. A, a theologian needs to read broadly. And I think we get stuck on that one and I think it's important. Um, wanted to have you two on the show because while in my short time at Concordia, while you guys were there, um, you two and a few others that were in your class, um, it became pretty obvious that you were taking these endeavors seriously. So kind of wanted to get your perspectives. Any closing thoughts from either one of you? No, I think uh, it's been uh, fun to do it. it. Sometimes it feels like uh, you're on an island while you're studying this. Um, so it's it's nice to be able to like talk about the program a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. I have one comment that if you're interested in becoming a student of theology, you're probably going to be asking some questions um, and that many others have wrestled with any questions that you come up with. You're not going to be the first ones to Amen. come up with them. Yeah. So find those resources, find pastors, That's academics, right. friends, other texts that you can read, scripture primarily, and find those answers. Don't be an innovator. Don't be an innovator. <laughs> yeah. Last episode. I like it. Well, Jacob, you have represented Concordia Theological Seminary in St. Louis very well on this episode. Um, Caleb, as have you, Nottingham University. Um, if people have questions for you guys, they can email into the show, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Contact button on the Thinking Fellows website if you have a question uh, for me or Jacob or the show. Um, if you, I'll I'll forward it to where it needs to go. If you're interested in pursuing uh, theology either at the undergrad level or um, going to seminary or doing uh, some MA or or whatever, um, you can ask any of us, and I think we'd all have suggestions uh, at the Thinking Fellows for people. So, all right, thank you for listening to this episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye bye.